A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Hey everybody, it's a holiday in the United States and uh, the DTNS team taking a well-deserved break today. If you need the headlines, please check out Daily Tech Headlines. Uh, they'll keep you up to date on what's going on and we'll be back with all the Google Pixel announcements uh, tomorrow. I guess that's dating this episode, but otherwise this episode will be pretty evergreen because I want to talk to you about differential privacy. I want to explain in general terms when you hear that word, and I'm sure you're going to hear it more, what does it mean? There's a lot of misinformation and overreaction when it comes to data privacy these days. That is in large part due to the fact that there's a lot of lack of data privacy. People are rightly concerned. But sometimes there's a little bit of overreaction. On DTNS, we try to balance the idea that companies do definitely need to improve data protection with the idea that sharing data at all isn't bad. In fact, when done right, it's very good. And not just for companies, but academic research and nonprofits benefit from research on data sets. However, just taking data, even even when you strip the names out, can lead to trouble. As far back as 2000, the year 2000, researchers were showing that the right analysis of a raw data set that was supposedly anonymized could still deduce who people were. In fact, Latanya Sweeney showed that 87% of people in the United States could be identified from zip code, birth date, and sex. Didn't have to know anything else about them. Didn't have to know their social security number, their name, their address, nothing. Zip code, birth date, sex. That's it. 87% of people could be identified. Now, one attempt to make data workable in light of that risk is called differential privacy. You probably first heard about it in 2016 when Apple mentioned it in their WWDC keynote, talking about how they use differential privacy to protect your data in data that they store in the cloud. What is differential privacy? Well, an algorithm is differentially private if you can't tell who anybody is by looking at the output. My apologies to the statisticians who are blanching at that, but I'm trying to put it in regular language that people can understand. If you can't figure out who somebody is, that, that is an, out, an outcome of differential privacy. Here's a simple example. Let's say you want to publish the aggregate sales data of businesses by category in your region. Now, the stores say, listen, we need to keep our sales data private. Eh, they're not public companies, right? They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want competitors knowing their sales data. So you agree that only the total sales data per category will be published. All, all the, you know, the, the produce companies, and there's hundreds of grocery stores. That way you can't tell how much came from which businesses, which is great until you come to the category of shark repellent sales and there's only one shark repellent business in your region. And if you publish that category, you won't be saying the name of the business. 
It'll be confidential, but it'll be easy to tell who it is because there's only one and that number is theirs. So you have an algorithm that looks for categories where that's a problem. Maybe if it's only got one, two, three, that's what the algorithm is for is to figure out like, well, when it's this few, it becomes easy to tell. And then it deletes those categories or maybe it folds them into another category. Maybe it makes an other category, something like that. Let's say it just deletes it, gets rid of it. Now, this can get trickier if you're also reporting a total sales number for the region. Let's say you deleted the shark repellent category and we'll just leave that out. It's not that important. Sorry, shark repellent salesman. You just add all the published categories up that you did publish, subtract that number from the total sales number. And if you know there was only one category missing, the shark repellent category, well, now you've figured out the shark repellent business sales again. Uh, And that's an example of using other data. You knew there was a category missing. Remember, when there's attacks on these privacy, they don't just go on the data in the data set. You use other data as a difference, right? Differential privacy uh, to figure out what's missing. Let's say you study how people walk through a park and you discover that of the 100 people observed in the study, 40 walk on the path and 60 cut through the graphs. Now, you publish that. You say, 100 people surveyed, 40 walk on the path, 60 cut through the grass. A lot of grass cutters out there, a lot of grass walkers. That seems private enough. You haven't named anybody. You haven't put any individual statistics out there. There's no zip codes, nothing. No leakage of data in the published results, right? Well, not so much. Because your adversary discovers the names of the people who participated in the study somehow. And they want to find out if Bob walks on the grass so they can embarrass him. Boy, they hate Bob. They also find out that of the 99 other people in the study who weren't Bob, 40 walked on the path and 59 walked on the grass. Bingo. Bob's a grass walker. Now, I know it sounds unrealistic that the adversary was able to get just that much info without getting all of it. But the point is that differential privacy would protect Bob's identity even if the adversary had that much info. So what do we do? How do we do this differential privacy thing? Back in 2003, Kobe Neesom and Irit Diner demonstrated that mathematically speaking, you can't publish arbitrary queries of a database without revealing some amount of private info. Uh, Even those sales categories, even the grass walking, thus was created the fundamental law of information recovery, which says that privacy cannot be protected without injecting noise into the data. In 2006, Cynthia Dwork, Frank McSherry, Kobe Neesom, and Adam D. Smith published an article formalizing the amount of noise you need to add and mechanisms for doing it. And that work in 2006 used the term differential privacy, or really epsilon differential privacy. We'll get to epsilon in a second. Now, a little bit about what differential privacy means. The ultimate protection of privacy is to not have your data in the data set, right? If you don't have your data in there, they can't tell who you are at all. So differential privacy gives each individual roughly the same protection as having their data removed. In more formal terms, statistical functions should not depend on the data of any one individual. If an individual piece of data is added or removed to the data set and everything else stays the same, the statistical functions on that data set should also stay the same. So you introduce noise. The fewer data points you have, the more noise you need. If you only have one data point, (laughs) you have to add a lot of noise. The noise has to be random, 
So it won't affect the accuracy of the data you are pulling out of that, out of the aggregate data. But it will make it hard to tell what data is real and therefore figure out who is whom. And we've got some examples. Let's, uh, let's talk about a survey where you're asking someone, have you ever stolen a car? Right. And this is the world with those adversaries. They might be they might be watching from afar. Right. They can they can't necessarily see everything that's happening, but they can they can tell what's happening. So what you do is you say, have you ever stolen a car? And then you have them flip a coin. They're going to have them flip a coin twice, no matter what. If the first coin flip is heads, then they'll flip a coin again for appearances sake, but ignore the outcome of that second flip and just answer honestly whether they've ever stolen a car or not. But if the first throw is tails, you pay attention to the second coin flip, and instead of answering honestly, you mechanically answer yes if it's heads, no if it's tails. Now, the reason you do all this is 50% of your answers are accurate, the people who got heads on the first coin flip. 50% are evenly random because a coin flip determined whether the answer was yes or no. And... The respondents can answer honestly because even if the adversary from afar can tell that Bob answered yes to the stolen car question, it could be incriminating, but it could also be that he just got the heads on the second tail flip. All right, back to our store uh, sales example. Let's say I add noise to the sales data in the categories. Well, now the percentage of sales is still accurate across all those categories, but I can't tell how much one store had anymore because there's a bunch of fake sales numbers in the shark repellent category. And finally, back to poor Bob walking on the grass. The revelation of Bob's grass walking came by knowing that there were 40 path walkers and 60 grass walkers and knowing the walking habits of the 99 other participants. So what if the published results said there were 61 grass walkers? It's not that much noise, actually, just a little bit of noise. Or let's say the 59 grass walkers. Now the adversary can't be sure which one was Bob, because the inside info doesn't match up. Is Bob, if it's 61, one of the two grass walkers? Or then who's the other one? It casts doubt on the data. The overall percentage of grass walkers in the published results, though, stays at around 60%. Now, you may have noticed in our examples here that you are losing some data accuracy in the service of differential privacy. For instance, in our company sales example, percentages are still accurate, but the totals in each category would not be. These are simplified examples, and there are ways around these particular issues in our examples. But overall, it's true that the more you want to protect the privacy of a data set, the less specificity you'll be able to get out of it. This is known as the privacy loss parameter, or epsilon. Remember, you're actually trying to keep a certain amount of specificity gone. You don't want them to be able to specifically tell who a person is in the data set. So you're going to have to lose a little more specificity to make that happen. And in fact, you may remember stories back in 2017 saying that Apple's implementation of differential privacy was not good enough. This was because researchers reverse-engineered Apple differential privacy and believed that its privacy loss parameters, its epsilon, allowed for too much specificity. This doesn't mean differential privacy doesn't work, but it also does mean that differential privacy is not a magic word. You can't just say differential privacy exists in a data set and therefore it's magically 100% secure. Anybody following privacy and security 
probably already guessed that. You're not surprised, but it's a trade-off like any other security system. And companies who implement it have to decide that trade-off between specificity and privacy. And companies like Apple that don't publish their Epsilon number make it more difficult for us to know just how private that data set is. Okay, differential privacy. It's more privacy than if you didn't have any, but how much? Now, folks, this is just an introduction to the concept. There are Lots of great explainers out there. If you really want to understand differential privacy and how it works mathematically, uh, I'm going to link to one at dailytechnewsshow.com from theconversation.com, which I think is a good intro one if you want to just start easing into the math. Uh, But there's lots of others there, including the Wikipedia article on this. Uh, Go check those out if you really want to start understanding. Because if if you just rested on my explanation today, there's room to start having some misimpressions because a lot of this is is metaphor. But hopefully what this did was help you wrap your head around the idea, the concept of like, oh, that's how it could work, uh, which is what I want to do in these kinds of episodes. So thank you everyone for joining us. uh, And thank you for uh, letting us have a day off from the news. Please, everybody, of course, uh, keep supporting us at patreon.com slash DTNS. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. part of the frog pants network get more at frogpants.com diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program (laughs) are you ready to enhance your future in tech then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that has more tech unicorns than france germany and sweden combined The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.